Well, it is getting warm. Yeah, is it warm in here? I know it's getting warm outside, and that means the swimming pools are about to open, huh? You guys ready for swimsuit season? Uh, you didn't have to answer that. That was a rhetorical question. I hear a bunch of these, no. So when, once uh, swimming season starts, there's been this universal kind of rule parents have had for kids. And that's this. Don't swim after you eat. Do y'all remember this? You know, back when some of you were kids, there was the rule, don't swim an hour after you eat. By the time I was a kid, it got down to half an hour. Now it's, it's a little shorter, but the rule still applies. And so after your kid eats lunch, you tell them, don't get in the pool yet. And like any child will do, instead of being submissive and saying yes and doing exactly what mom and dad says, the question comes, why? At this point, parents don't take time to explain the metabolic system of a human being or to talk about the vascular flow of blood uh, in a homo sapien species. They don't take time to explain why cleaning up regurgitated lunch in a $30,000 pool is not a good thing. Instead, what do parents tell their kids when they ask, why do we have to wait? You guys are good. It's like I put a cue card. Because I said so. Enough. Enough spoken. Enough said. You know, today as we look at the resurrection of Jesus, obviously we're here to lift up that truth and to remind you through our worship and now through this teaching that Jesus has been resurrected. But a lot of us, the only reason we believe Jesus has been resurrected is because somebody told us so. From our parents, grandparents, from culture, from even the Christian faith, there's a sense of believe the resurrection because I told you so. Now, there is a lot of of evidence. I want to be really clear about this. There's a a lot of rational evidence that I could give you today to make you intellectually believe the resurrection happened. I've looked at that. I've studied that. And I am convinced rationally that the resurrection happened. In fact, over the last 2,000 years, governments and culture and all types of forces have been trying to disprove the resurrection And nobody's been able to do it. No one's been able to unequivocally say the resurrection didn't happen. And because of that, because of that, the resurrection is alive in the hearts of God's people. And and people throughout the centuries have literally died and been tortured and have given their lives because they believe in the resurrection. So today, if I have the task to intellectually convince you that the resurrection happened, I'm going to make a bet. Even if I could prove it, some of you still wouldn't believe the resurrection. Even if there was proof. Here's here's the first observation I want to give you today, is that proof does not believe the resurrection. You know, if I said, said that I have this proof that you cannot, you cannot ignore Because our hearts are hard, some of us still would not believe. Now, in the book of John, we learn about the coming of Jesus in John chapter 1, starting in verse 10. 
we said, we, we, this is talking about Jesus. It says it this way. He was in the world, and the world was created through him. So we know Jesus was God. Yet, the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So, us as the human, the human population... Created in the image of God, we're supposed to recognize God more than anyone else. But when Jesus came, we didn't even recognize him. If I were to say right now, guys, there's been an incredible newsflash. In downtown Nashville, God is there right now. He's at Riverfront Park in the parking lot of Hard Rock Cafe right now. Let's go. Come on, let's get in our cars. Let's go. God is here. Let's go down there. Let's go. It's been verified. God himself is here. He, he's right there in downtown Nashville. Some of us, we just wouldn't believe. Even if we saw the news clippings and we saw the video and, and it was really happening, we wouldn't believe. If I said God's out there in the lobby right now, I mean physically, not metaphorically, but physically, Jesus himself is in the lobby right now. Go on, just walk down that aisle and walk through those doors and, and you'll see Jesus some of you would already say, nah, I don't believe. If I said Jesus is right there in that front row, the lonely front row that only the pastor sits on. And Jesus appears. He's physically sitting there. And I'd say, look, on the front row is Jesus. Some of you would say, nah, there has to be a catch. Because here's the deal. I can prove something to you intellectually. But I can't cause you or make you believe something in your heart. That's impossible. That only comes through faith. After Jesus was resurrected and he went back to the Father, miracles started occurring through his followers. Those can still occur today. In the book of Acts, as you read about the early church, people were healed and set free and amazing things happened. And there was a time when Jesus and his followers healed a man who was, who was crippled and lame. And they got in trouble for it. Can you imagine that? Healing someone who had been crippled probably their whole life, and he healed them, and the leaders, the religious leaders, didn't like it. So we look at Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 8. It says it this way. Excuse me, that was Acts chapter 4. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today about a good deed uh, done to a disabled man by what means he was healed, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, now here's the key part, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. This was a common I mean, this was everything, right? Not just common. This was the vernacular of the early disciples. Without the resurrection, Jesus didn't mean, didn't mean anything significant spiritually. The resurrection changed everything. And so, instead of giving glory to themselves, they're saying, this healing happened because Jesus Christ, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you healthy. This, Jesus, is a stone rejected by you you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. 
When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in response. And after they had ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, now remember, these are men who had seen the healing power of Jesus. They conferred among themselves saying, what should we do with these men? For an obvious sign evident to all. Here's the point I'm trying to make here. To that group of people, the power of the resurrected Jesus was obvious. I mean, it was obvious as the man who was standing there who was healed. It was apparent. It was known. Yet they didn't believe. Not only did they not believe, they opposed. So proof won't convince you that the resurrection is real. There has to be a change, not just in the mind, but in the heart. God's love has to come and reveal that to you. And so it says, For an obvious sign evident to all who live in Jerusalem has been done through them. And we cannot deny it. However, so this does not spread any further among people. Let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to preach or teach at all. In the name of Jesus. Men who saw God's power, who knew Jesus existed, because they even said the followers had obviously been with Jesus. These are uneducated men. These are men who who would not have this type of authority or power or skills within them. They had been with Jesus. And that resurrection power transferred from Jesus given to his disciples, disciples giving glory to the Son, not giving glory to themselves, saying it's Jesus and his power. And yet, the mind of man said, no, we don't believe. Even though it's obvious, even though it's clear, even though it's apparent, we don't believe. You see, it's not proof that believes the resurrection. There has to be something more. I met my wife in 1997. I was from Dallas, Texas, and she was from eastern Kentucky. And there was something that I did not realize came with marriage. With my marriage vows, I did the regular marriage vows that you did and said them and exchanged them. But I didn't realize until we got into our first year of marriage that those marriage vows included me becoming a Kentucky Wildcat sports fan. And I found this out. In a strange way, we were meeting uh, some of our family who had season tickets to the games and so forth. And they were playing Vanderbilt up in Lexington. It was a football game. And so um, now that I'm remembering the story better, as I tell it, uh, it was during our engagement. And so I picked Beth up, and I had a jacket on. It was cold. And later on, when I took the jacket off, her eyes got huge because I had a Vanderbilt sweatshirt on. Guys, this was not good. I meet all of her aunts and uncles and cousins for the first time, and they could not look past that black and gold sweatshirt. And I knew then that to marry this girl and to have a successful marriage, I was going to have to develop a love for the big blue. So when people say, are you a Kentucky fan? I say, yes, by marriage, I'm a Kentucky fan. And I have grown fond to them. And we've passed this on to my oldest daughter, who's going to be 14 this week. And she doesn't care about any sports team, but she cares about the Kentucky Wildcats. And then my first son, he likes a lot of different teams, but he certainly likes the Wildcats too. I mean, he has to. Think about who his mom is. There's no choice. But rebellion has come to our home and our third child. 
And he's about 10 years old, and he just hasn't quite caught on to this inherited right that he has to have. So, you know, he's like, ah, I like Kentucky. They're okay. I mean, you know, and, and we had a family reunion back in December, and for some reason he decided, you know, within the first three minutes to say, Kentucky is okay. They're okay team. So this has caused angst and issues in my home. In fact, on the championship night two weeks ago, it was, you know, in the second half, and Lincoln just tells us all, I'm going to go ahead and go to bed. Uh, Tell me who wins in the morning. That is blasphemy in our home. This This child is still kind of catching on. There are certain obligations, right? We have cultural obligations in our family. In our family, or maybe living here in the South, or being an American, even being a human on this planet. There are certain obligations that we inherit. Sometimes I think that we believe the resurrection simply out of obligation. But the second observation I want to make today is this, is that obligation does not believe the resurrection. Obligation might cause us to go to church on Easter. Obligation might cause us to bubble in on our senses or to click on our senses that we're a Christian. But obligation, a a cultural obligation to believe in the resurrection really doesn't last. And, And when you're under persecution or in an atmosphere where you have to stand for Christ when other people oppose Christ. If it's only a family obligation or a cultural obligation or religious obligation, it won't last. We don't believe the resurrection because we grew up Baptist. We don't believe the resurrection because we grew up Methodist or Pentecostal. We believe the resurrection because we have had God change our hearts. You can say you believe the resurrection But until you let the love of God change your heart, you truly don't believe. Now, after Jesus was resurrected, uh, people began to discover his resurrection in phases. So not everyone discovered it at once. In his resurrected body, he would come and go and appear to different groups. And we see a a time when some excitement came to the disciples. And in Mark chapter 20, verse 24 says, One of the twelve... Thomas, this is Mark, uh, excuse me, John chapter 20, John chapter 20. But one of the 12, Thomas called twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Let's stay here for a second. And so the other disciples kept telling him, we have seen the Lord. Have you ever heard good news that is hard to believe? And there's something called groupthink that's very powerful. That if a whole group of people believe something Uh, we have a tendency psychologically to believe the same thing, even if we don't have proof. And and Thomas is kind of experiencing this. You you can almost, I mean, feel the excitement coming through the text. We have seen the Lord. They, they, They kept telling him, we've seen the Lord. Thomas, do you believe? We've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. And and this sense of um, social pressure was coming on. And, And I'm sure Many of us in that situation, we would want to join the excitement. We would want to enjoy uh, and uh, join the group and, and be part of that and think, I want to be part of the group. I've seen the Lord too. We've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. I, I want to be part of this kind of social experiment, this kind of group think. But Thomas responded differently. And he said this. But he said to them, 
if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hand and put my fingers into the mark of the nails and put my hands into his side, I will never believe. Thomas has gotten a kind of a negative reputation called doubting Thomas. And that seems like a negative word, but we can also look at this in a more positive way. That Thomas personally said, I want to see with my eyes. I want to put my fingers into the mark of his nails. I want to put my hands into his side. If not, I will never believe. Jesus later on said, hey, blessed are those of us in this room who haven't done that. We still believe. But the point I'm making through that scripture is this, is that Thomas didn't simply believe out of obligation. He didn't just join the group. He didn't say, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord. He said, I want to experience Jesus. And I want to challenge you guys, listen, wherever you are in your faith, wherever you are in your faith, make sure that it's your faith. It's not the faith of just the church at Indian Lake or the faith of your ancestors or the faith of a, a Hendersonville or Gallatin or Nashville person. And it's your faith. You believe. You believe. You put your faith in Christ and your heart in Him. And when you do that personally... That's what life is all about. That's why we've been put on this planet so that we could come to know eternal life through Jesus our Lord. You know, speaking of raising boys, I've raised two boys and now I have a nephew I'm very close to who's four years old. And all three of them, especially the younger two, um, developed the same trend in their life. Around the age of three, it was really interesting to see this multiply. They developed this deep, heartfelt, unwavering conviction that they were Spider-Man. And this was really fun. Because anytime we needed something to happen, especially Lincoln and Reese, they would do this. Get their spidey hands out. And it was really, really cute because they would they would take that and do this deal and they would try to open the door. They would uh, play pretend. It wasn't so cute when you corrected them. They went to dad. You know, that wasn't so cute. But 90% of the time, it was really fun and cute, especially because these guys, these little toddlers, believed that they were Spider-Man. They believed it with all, your, all their heart. You know, so I knew they weren't Spider-Man. But, you know, I didn't try to disprove that. I didn't mock them and say, you stupid toddler, I can't believe you think you're Spider-Man. <laughs> Let me tell you who the real Spider-Man is. I didn't tell them, you think you can climb that building? No way, dude. You can't do that. I didn't do any of that. You know why? Because I loved them. I loved them with all my heart. And the fact that they believed they were Spider-Man, I believed they were Spider-Man too. I want to be crystal clear about something. There is plenty of proof that Jesus has been resurrected. But proof will not make you believe the resurrection. What makes you believe the resurrection is love. Is love for Jesus. I believe the resurrection not because of some overwhelming intellectual experience. I believe the resurrection not because I was just born an American and born a Christian and born an evangelical. I thank God for those. But I believe the resurrection because there was a time in my life when the love of God came into my heart. 
And I love the Lord with all my heart, not because of anything I've done or because I'm a better person than you, but it's by his undeserved favor. God reached out to me and he touched me and God reached out and he chose me and he said, you're going to be my son. You're going to be my child. You're going to be part of my kingdom. You're going to be part of my family. And I want you to know this, that God's doing that to you right now. It's not an accident that you're here. You're not here just out of a cultural habit. You're here because our God is providential. Our God is sovereign. And he has you sitting in this room hearing this message because God loves you. And God went to the cross through his son, Jesus. And he laid down his life. And he took the sins of the world and the sins of Aaron and the sins of Beth and the sins of Gary, the sins of Doug. He took those upon himself. And he was our substitute. And he laid down his life and he proved that he had the power to conquer sin and death and the grave and Hades and Sheol and the whole power of the unknown. He conquered all of those through the resurrection. His death was not just another execution. His death was not just another great leader who died for a great cause. His death was supernaturally planned before the foundation and the creation of the world. His death and resurrection conquered death. It conquered hell. It conquered the grave. And it proved that he is God and he is resurrected. And his love is drawing you back to him. So I... It is truly love that believes the resurrection. This quote is a quote I came across a few years ago. I was on a, a plane ride to Turkey, and I read this quote, and it gripped my heart because it described my faith, and I've been sitting on it for a few years. I feel like God wanted me to give it to you today so you would know. You would know that from this day forward, your faith, your faith is not necessarily a choice. Your faith is not a preference. And your faith, your faith is totally centered around your love for God. How do you get the love of God? Well, the last scripture I want to share with you is so powerful. is in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. I want to invite the ushers to begin to prepare for communion and our musicians to join me. And look at this, this scripture. We have come to know and to believe I, I think most of us are there, and I hope you are there. We've come to know and believe that the love that God has for us. I want you to let that sink in. We know it, and we believe the love that God has for us. Now it describes that love. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is perfected within us. So that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. I love that phrase. Because God loves us, when we stand before God, we don't have to wonder, hope, uh, make a deal with God. We have confidence on the day of judgment because he loves us. I don't deserve to go to heaven. I'm not qualified to go to heaven. I'll never be good enough to go to heaven. But Jesus made me qualified because he was a substitute for my sin. And so I have confidence on the day of judgment. And here in a moment, when we take communion, before we take communion, we're going to pray. And I want every single one of you to have the confidence that Jesus has. No more doubting. No more questioning your faith. The love of God is going to touch your heart so that we have confidence in the day of judgment for we as he is in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. 
Now here's what I want you to reflect on. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. God initiates love towards us. We don't set our hearts of love upon God and hope he accepts us. We discover that he loves us and then we reflect that love right back to him. That's why it is love that believes the resurrection. It is love that comes from God to you and then we reflect back to God. Today we have a chance to not only remember his sacrifice, but to celebrate his resurrection. And then to declare that Jesus is coming again. Jesus came once because Jesus is coming again. He's coming to right all the wrongs. He's coming to rule and reign as a righteous leader, a righteous president, a righteous king, a righteous monarch. There's been no leader like King Jesus. There's been no one who is as pure and holy and separate and different. He is coming again. And he has loved you. He's loved you enough to let you be alive in 2014. To be right here in Hendersonville, Tennessee. To be at a church that knows who Jesus is. Who's lifting up Jesus. That's his love for you. His love for you is complete. His love for you will never end. His love for you will never change. His love is undeserved. But we get to receive his love even when we don't deserve it. So we'll have a chance today to make things right with God. I believe every person in this room is going to get things right with God today. And after we pray together, I'm going to, after we pray together the second time, I'm going to lead you eating the bread and drinking the cup. And Christ will be glorified and our hearts will be lifted. Let us pray together. God, as we prepare our hearts, I pray, Lord, that you would show us the sinful ways within us and that we would repent. We would give it back to Christ. We love you. Thank you. Here, as we have a moment together, I want you just to meditate. If there's any sin in your life, confess that to the Lord. And when the, hold the bread and hold the cup. And then I'll be back in a few minutes to lead us. Father, prepare our hearts. Prepare our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.
the scripture tells us to not take communion in an unworthy manner. It didn't say take it in a perfect manner because there's only one perfect, and that's Jesus Christ our Lord. It means to take communion in a respectful way, knowing that God is God, Jesus is God, and that we're not. That without His grace, you know, we, we have no qualifications to be right with God. So I laid down my pride to realize that I'm no better than a person who's never heard the name of Jesus. I, I have no qualities within me that, that would make me any more qualified for heaven than a person who's never heard his name. I'm just blessed enough by his grace to know the only way to salvation that we read about earlier. And so we come in humility. And Jesus said that when you meet together, do this in remembrance of me. And so we do remember him. And we did that in a beautiful way on Friday night. And, and we spent some time really reflecting on the cross. And today is Resurrection Sunday. So yes, we do remember, but we also proclaim. We proclaim that he's alive. We proclaim that he's resurrected. And you know, your very presence in this church today is a statement that Jesus is alive. You could have chosen something else and done something else, um, something else that maybe in your flesh would prefer to do. But you chose to physically demonstrate he's alive by being at, at church today. And so because we know that he is our sacrifice, and because we know he's resurrected, then we can have that confidence as we confess our sins to the Lord. And so we look towards his coming. And though we love this world and aspects of this world, we don't have the type of love for the world that would keep us attached. Our hearts are in heaven. Our hearts are connected to him. Would you join me in prayer? No doubt that as you...